1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. We'll read right through this great chapter, maybe one of the more familiar chapters of God's word. Uh, You've probably heard portions of this chapter maybe at a wedding or at some other activity. This is a very often quoted chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul's writing, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away, and as for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. It's an incredible chapter. It's a remarkable chapter. Again, you probably have seen portions of this chapter, verses that have been quoted. The whole chapter may be quoted in some artwork for your wall, or you've seen it in weddings, in ceremonies, Often quoted, often remembered chapter of the Word of God. I want us to have some context to this chapter, though, and understand the reason that Paul's writing what he's writing. The intent of his writing, chapter 13, was not, in his mind, there's going to be some weddings one day where this needs to be read. There's a specific point and purpose for Paul writing this portion of this letter in the location of the letter in which he's written it. I want to jump back to chapter 12, and I know it's a lengthy portion, but I want to read it again to set the context in chapter 12, beginning at verse 12 that we looked at last week. And he says, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. This is in the context that Paul wrote, verse 12, jumping back to the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1. Concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. 
Verse 4, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And so directly before chapter 13, Paul makes reference to the fact that we are one body with many parts. And each part has a part to play in the body. Jumping back to verse 1 and verse 4 of chapter 12, before that section, Paul reminds them that it is one Lord, one God, one Spirit who gives gifts within the body of Christ, if you know Christ, to be used for the edification of the body of Christ. And so Paul shares at the beginning of the chapter, chapter 12, the Spirit of God gives gifts. In the middle of chapter 12, he relates to them the fact that every part of the body that has gifts is needed within the body. Towards the concluding part of chapter 12, verse 21, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. He says in verse 24, right in the middle, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Verse 28, God's appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and some believe that's more accurately translated, but you are earnestly desiring the greater gifts. You're wanting those greater gifts, the known gifts. And then he says this, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The the words that are right before we get into chapter 13 is I will show you a more excellent way. And so again, contextually, what's happening here? Paul tells the believers in Corinth in chapter 12, God has given you a gift, a spiritual gift, a grace gift to be used for the good edification of the body of Christ. We're one body, but many members, and every member is needed in the body. And not one member can say to another member, I don't need you. And no member can say to another member, you don't need me. He says, no, on the contrary, the entirety of the body in all of its parts are needed For the good of the body. As one suffers, we all suffer. As one rejoices, we all rejoice. And and yet there was this mentality, as you know, amongst the people in Corinth, if you have been here, of selfishness and pride and arrogance. Those that were saying to maybe people with lesser gifts, I don't need you. Maybe some of those that had lesser gifts or less pronounced gifts would say, you don't need me. And Paul's admonishing them and saying, no, that is not the case. And so in the context of spiritual gifts and in the context of wanting them to understand that they're needed in the body of Christ and the gifts should be used for God's glory, insert chapter 13, a chapter that is exclusively on love. And and then if you go to chapter 14 that you'll see next week, he goes back into talking about the exercising of the gifts again. So chapter 13 Prior to it is spiritual gifts, and chapter 14, right after it, is spiritual gifts. And Paul begins chapter 13, by the way, talking about spiritual gifts. So guess what the context and purpose of this understanding of love is then? It's in the context and for the purpose of understanding spiritual gifts. I hope that makes sense. I hope that's clear. 
He's making something very clear, abundantly clear here. One pastor said this, he said, chapter 13 is not just a beautiful description of love, it is at the very heart of Paul's teaching about ministry, at the very heart of Paul's teaching about spiritual life. Our lives are to be characterized by the dominant spirit-given fruit of love. Paul tells them, I will show you a more excellent way. They thought they knew All that they needed to know. And they thought that they had everything right. They thought that they had their way of doing it. And Paul's saying, listen, I want you to see a more excellent way, a more proper way, a more pleasing way. A way that really God has for you because he's the author. He's the finisher. He's the giver. You remember how many times we looked at where it talks about the spirit gives. The Lord is the one who gives. That that the credit goes to the Lord. He just knows better. And this is a more excellent way and sometimes can't we be guilty of making things harder and more complicated and doing things in our way that are not the way God intends us to do and man we could have saved ourselves so much heartache and pain couldn't we I remember when I was in middle school younger middle school age years we had a teacher that had two primary rules when you would take a test the first was you had to write your first and last name and the date and if you turned in a test that didn't have your first, last name, and date, he'd tell you to come back up and take it and write the date on it. But if you turned in a test that didn't have your first and last name in it, he would throw it in the trash and make you redo it. That was one of his primary rules. You had to have your first and last name and the date on it. But then the other thing he would tell us regularly is before you start your test, I want you to read the directions in their entirety, the instructions here. So he would pass out the test and What I used to do and a number of my my friends used to do is we would be looking at our notes right before the test and as soon as the test was passed out, we'd jump to the questions that we knew we'd forget and we'd like write down all the answers real quick from from our looking at the notes right beforehand. But he always encouraged us, those two rules, write your name and date and read through the directions before you start the test. And I remember one time he gave us a test and it wasn't a major test, but it was an important test and he passed out all the papers and he said, okay, go ahead. And I did what I typically did. I I jumped to the essay questions so that I could like regurgitate all the things that I just looked at to remember what I was going to write so I didn't forget it, as did some of my other friends. About two to three minutes into the test of writing, I look up and I notice some of the kids around me have their papers turned over and they're kind of sitting back smiling. And they're not writing. And I'm looking around thinking, what is going on? And the teacher's just sitting at his desk, you know, legs crossed, watching. So I flip my paper over and I go up and I write my name and I read the instructions. And it said, write your name on this test. And after you write your name and date, turn it over because you'll receive 100% for following directions. (laughs) That, my friends, was a more excellent way. That was a more excellent way to take that test. To simply follow the instructions of the one who is giving it. Paul says about spiritual gifts, specifically spiritual gifts in this context. You've been doing things your way. There is a more excellent way. And that is the way of love. That is the way of love. We want to look at this more excellent way this morning. And I want to provide for us in the text, we'll see five truths about love. Five truths about love that we'll see here. First, the greatest of gifts and strongest of service are left lacking 
without love. Look at verses one through three again. The greatest of gifts and strongest of service are left lacking without love. Paul is going to use some hyperbole here. He's going to use some hyperbole as he speaks about the gifts and his utilization of them. Look at what he says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul gives three examples of absolute extremes. The farthest that you could go, and even beyond what you could go, as it relates to the exercising of gifts in service to the Lord. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Paul makes it clear. He says, listen, if I, if I could speak, you, you want the gift of tongues and you celebrate the gift of tongues. It's one of these gifts that's a sign gift that they wanted and that they thought was important. They thought was special. They thought was prominent. He says, listen, if I can speak in all tongues, which tongues is dialects, it's known languages. They're languages that they would be speaking and there was a point and purpose of it. In communicating the truth of the word of God, authenticating the authority of the apostles and, and making the, the unbelieving Jew that would be watching and seeing believe this is of God. Paul says, if I have all tongues, if I can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, which we're not even sure what exactly that means, the tongues of angels. Because there's really nothing in the Bible that describes what that even talks about. And Paul says, listen, if I could speak in all of the languages of men and all of the angelic languages that could exist. He's encompassing it all. And he says, and I have not love. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I, it's meaningless. It means nothing, he says. He says, if... I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, which, by the way, he's going to clarify towards the end of chapter 13. No one has that ability apart from the Lord. No one could even do this. But he, he's using a sense of hyperbole here saying, listen, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, all knowledge, I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And he says, if I give away all that I have, if I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And he's talking about the exercising of the more prominent gifts here that they were so concerned about in chapter 12. They were jealous of in chapter 12. That they were arrogant about in chapter 12. And he says, if I have all of these and I'm using them to the greatest extent and even beyond, but I have not love. It's meaningless, it's worthless, and I have nothing. The greatest of gifts and the strongest of service are left lacking without love. Now, the love that's being described here in chapter 13 is the word agape in, in Greek. And there's three different terms that are used for love. We're not going to get into all the different terms. I'm just going to focus on this term. It's not a romantic love. That's not what he's talking about. It's not a sentimental love or a physical love. There are words that would be utilized in the Greek for that type of love. This 
type of love is a love of selfless sacrifice. It's not necessarily something you feel, but it's something that you do. It's something that is seen in in action. It's the same word for love that's used in John 13 when it says that Jesus loved them to perfection. He loved them perfectly. In John 15 where Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. It's this type of self-sacrificing love that's being described here in chapter 13. One pastor says, Paul's making it clear the only environment and the only atmosphere in which these gifts function properly is in the atmosphere of love, this type of love. It then becomes a cr- a critical to understanding all spiritual maturity, all spiritual ministry. Spiritual ministry at its broadest level, he says, is in chapter 13, and Spiritual ministry of specific application is chapter 14, and right here in the middle is the environment in which this ministry must happen. It's in the context of this type of love. We think about that, we know that to be true, don't we, from the ministry of Jesus, from the words of Jesus, from other words that Paul wrote. Jesus said, this is how all men will know that you are my disciples. How? Not by necessarily your gifts, but by your love for one another. I mean, he very easily could have said, listen, guys, when you start giving sight to the blind and you start picking up snakes and they're not biting you, and when you start speaking in known languages that no one can explain, they will know you are my disciples. Now, the gifts were signs to authenticate that message, but you know what? There were other people performing signs and attributing them to the Lord that were not to the Lord. Jesus said, they'll know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Romans 13 says, love is the fulfilling of the law. Jesus said the two great commandments, the first is to love the Lord your God, and the second is to love your neighbor, and on these two hang all the law and the prophets. The emphasis of love is not something new, and yet it was something that was missing in Corinth in their exercising of gifts. Paul says, without it, without love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Without it, I have nothing. Without it, I gain nothing. Without it, I'm nothing in what I'm doing. Again, in the context of fantastic and great gifts, but they're meaningless. They mean nothing without love, even if everything looks right. But it's not in love. Paul says it's useless. I'll share with you this illustration of my teacher who, two rules, right? Write your first and last name and date, and you want to read the instructions. His rule about our name First and last name, in particular, you write your first and last name, that if you turned in your paper and your first and last name were on it, you had to do it again. And so literally, you could fill out this entire test to absolute perfection. And if your first and last name on it wasn't on it, he'd do this, throw it in the trash, and give you a new paper to write out because your first and last name were on it. That's what I think of when I was thinking of that when Paul talked about how, listen, I can do everything to the extreme. And if I have not love, it's useless, it's worthless, it gains nothing. Love unlocks the potential in our gifts and in our service. That's the second point here. Love unlocks the potential in our gifts and in our service. In contrast to the noisy gong Gaining nothing and being nothing without love. With love, all that Paul described earlier in chapter 12 will be true. All that Jesus described about our love will be true. And all that John described about our love will be true. 
Love unlocks the potential in our gifts and service. It shows we belong to Christ. It shows we've been made alive. It shows that we are the Lord's. Love builds up. Love covers sin. Love is evidence of the Spirit of God in our lives. In Galatians chapter 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Love is so important. Love is what's necessary, and it unlocks that potential. Just as we read verses 1 through 3, where Paul said, I could do all of these things to the extreme and even beyond what could be imagined, and it's useless, it's worthless, it's meaningless. The opposite would be true that if these gifts are in operation and being used by people who are not perfect people, who don't have all knowledge, who don't have all abilities, and yet they're exercising these gifts in love, they're of great value in the body of Christ. Sometimes we can, can't we shy away from service within the body because we think I'm inadequate or I can't do it perfectly or I don't have the ability perfectly to do that. We know that and God knows that. But if we're exercising the gifts in love, wow, how God can use that. It unlocks that potential. It unlocks that ability through the spirit of God to be able to serve him in a way that is profitable and not meaningless, that has impact. It's not useless. Such power that exists there. Paul's great concern for these believers is not simply that they would be exercising the gifts that they have. No, his concern in his writing as he's built up the chapter 13 and now as he's delivering it in chapter 13 is that all that they would be doing would be done with love. That's his concern. That's what he wants. Have you ever heard someone speak of an individual and maybe in the athletic world or maybe in, you know, in the world of academics or maybe in the world of, of public speaking, they say, man, that person has some God-given talent and ability, but they need the right coach or they need the right environment or they need the right team. Currently in the, the world of football and college football and the NFL, you could have a quarterback in particular that says that he has all the God-given talent in the world, but he needs help. He needs to unlock that. He needs to see that produce. He needs to see that developed. And in essence, I believe what Paul's saying here is, listen, you and I have God-given gifts given to us by the Spirit of God. And what unlocks that and what allows us to utilize it in a way that pleases God and is for the profit of the glory of God and the edification of the body, what unlocks that is love. Because if we're not doing these things and living in these things and serving in love, it's meaningless, he says. It's meaningless. Clanging cymbals, noisy gongs, he says, I am nothing and I have nothing if I do not have love. And again, this, if you're the Corinthian believers, because sometimes we can just insert ourselves and separate the original recipients to this. He's talking to people in Corinth that were embracing all kinds of pagan activities within their church. They were participating in all kinds of pagan things and it was overtaking them. And Paul's already admonished them because of their prideful arrogance their selfishness, their lack of love for one another, even in regards to the Lord's table. If you remember a few weeks back, he said, you don't even wait for each other. You're selfish, you're arrogant, you're boastful, you're proud. And then he talks about spiritual gifts. And if you begin to read chapter 12 at the first part, and you're like, yeah, God has given us gifts. 
They're from him. He's the creator. He's enabled us. He's provided these gifts. He's the one that empowers us. God Almighty's empowered us. It's pretty encouraging. That, that'd be something to think, wow, like this is good. And then after telling him all this, he's like, listen, but they're not for you. And they're not for your glory. They're for God's glory. And oh, by the way, you need one another. And no matter how powerful the gifts that you have are or how amazing they are in the sight of men, they're meaningless if they're not used in love. I mean, this would cut deep, wouldn't it? I mean, church, think about how we serve. And think about why we serve. Because I would say if we're serving under selfish reasons, our service probably is not going to last very long. Because when someone offends us, we're out. When someone is critical of us, we're out. When someone does something we don't like, we're out. Why? Because we're not doing it in love. You say, well, that's unfair. Well, let's move on to point number three. Love compels us to live differently in all areas of life. This can be hard for us, but look at what he describes this type of love as being. He says, Love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. Patient means to be extremely slow to anger, never seeking vengeance, never seeking retribution, even in dealing with those who wrong us, tolerating what may come. It's a powerful feature of love, isn't it? That love is patient and kind. Kind, kindness, not seeking to retaliate evil for evil. Extending kindness, well-being, even though injured. Deeds of kindness are given and happen even when offense happens. That's the kind of love he's talking about here. Love is patient and kind. Isn't this what Jesus taught? You've heard it say that you're supposed to love those that love you. I tell you, love your enemies. Do good to those that hurt you and persecute you and use you. Pray for them. That's what he describes love as. This is completely contrary, isn't it, to what the world says about living? Love compels us to live differently in every area of life. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Some of these can go without explanation, can't they? If we're sitting here and we're like, oh, shoot, like that too? When we think about our service to the Lord or our ministry within the body of Christ... Last week, Paul makes it abundantly clear, if you're a member of the body of Christ, universal, you have a gift to be used to edify the body of Christ. You're needed. You're wanted. You're commissioned by God to serve. And as you serve with the gifts God has given to you, how are you to serve? Well, in love. And what does that mean exactly? Well, as, again, this is the context of spiritual gifts and our service in spiritual gifts. So as you're serving, as I'm serving, do it in love. So what does that mean? Well, as you're serving, do it with patience and kindness. Do it in a way that does not envy or boast. Do it in a way that is not arrogant or rude. 
we got to keep going. Do it in a way that does not insist on its own way. I didn't write that in your Bible. Believe it or not, none of the pastors at Maranatha wrote that in our Bibles. Well, I'll read it again. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Talk about love compelling us to live differently in all areas of life. Did you hear the list? Can you imagine? When would there ever be a time that we, if operating our gifts in love, could come to the conclusion, I'm just not going to serve anymore? When could we at any time as a believer in Christ ever say, if we're truly operating and utilizing our gifts in the love that God has demanded of us and requires of us in the exercising of these gifts, when would we ever rightly be able to say, you know what, I'm just not going to use the gifts God's given to me anymore because I'm not needed or wanted. I don't like what's going on. I don't like how I'm being responded to. I don't like the criticalness. I don't like... And that shouldn't be happening in the body of Christ. Believe me, that should not take place in the body where as believers we are critical of one another and angry towards one another and we're belittling of one another, gossiping about... Those things should never take place. But listen, even when they do about you, your calling on the part of God hasn't changed. And my part on the calling of God has not changed. I have no right to say to God, God, I refuse to serve you and use the gifts you've given to me because people are mean. And I don't like the way they do it. So he says here, love is patient and kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. How much different would it look, not only at Maranatha Bible Church, but every church, if we just were focused in rejoicing with the truth? Love compels us to live differently in all areas of our life. And that's not enough, he says in verse 7, love bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, he says. Yeah, that tells me serving the Lord will not always be easy. It will not always be celebrated. It will not always be in a context and setting that causes us to just feel warm and fuzzy all the time. But when it's done in love, it's not about us anyhow. It's for his glory. And it's for his honor. And so we can look at all these things. And again, there's a huge indictment in these verses specific to the church at Corinth, isn't there? When we read about these things, Paul's saying, love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rejoicing at wrongdoing. Love sets this apart. They had all kinds of issues in Corinth when it came to spiritual gifts. There were even those that Paul talked about that were prophesying or saying, claiming things about Christ that were contrary to truth. And he said that this is not from God. And so he says here about love, that love, agape love, self-sacrificing love, 
is not about ourselves, but it's about the Lord. It's about the body of Christ and not ourselves. So important. So important that we understand these things. Number four, love is enduring, always needed, and always to be active. Verses 8 to 12, there's a little bit of controversy on part of this section of differences of belief. I want to read the text with us this morning. I just want to give some brief statements about it. A lot of doctrinal things in 1 Corinthians that people have you know, questions about and that they go back and forth over. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be known fully, even as I have been known fully, or been fully known. So I think he's making something abundantly clear here in regards to love. Love is enduring, Love is always needed and always to be active in contrast to some of the more prominent gifts that they were so focused and emphasizing that they are not going to be always enduring. They are not always going to be needed and they are not always going to be active. Now the time frame is where there's a lot of debate about when are these gifts not going to be active? When are these gifts no longer going to be needed? When are these gifts no longer going to be enduring? Paul talks about the gifts of prophecy and knowledge and tongues in this text. And so the debate is on when that which is perfect has come, is when these things will no longer be specific to knowledge and prophecy. He says when that which is perfect has come, those two gifts in particular, they will no longer be needed. He says we know in part knowledge, we prophesy in part When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So specific to knowledge and prophecy, there's a specific point in time that Paul's referencing here of when that which is perfect has come, that those two gifts will cease or they will no longer be needed. And there's a lot of viewpoints about that. Some people believe that which is perfect has come is referring to uh, when Christ came to this earth. And our faith, uh, you know, we could see and the word of God was made flesh. I think there's a lot of Holes in that argument. I don't believe that's the case. Some people believe it's when the word of God was completed. The completed word of God. When that happened and it was complete, there was no longer the need for these things. That which is perfect has come is referring to the word of God. And there's, there's problems with that point of view as well. And understanding it. Some people believe it's at the rapture of the church, when the church is called up and we meet Christ in the air, that there's no longer a need for these things. Well, in each of those areas, the the holes or problems in the argument is we're told, particularly towards the end and even in the millennial kingdom, that there will be knowledge as has not been known, and there will be prophecy and knowledge taking place. And I think what I would lean towards, and, and where many are, is that this is referring to the ultimate eternal state when we are with the Lord forever and the eternal state takes place. But again, there's a lot of teaching and arguments on all of those fronts. But here's the point for this morning that I want to make because I don't want to miss what Paul's saying here and the point in the context of this is not to have a debate about when those specific gifts cease, when those specific gifts are no longer needed, or when those specific gifts are no longer going to endure. The point is all of those gifts that are so prominent and so desirable on so many people's parts the point of it is that they will cease 
There will be a point in time where they'll no longer be needed. There will be a point in time when they no longer need to endure. In contrast to the one that he's talking about, the one area he's talking about that will always endure, that will never not be needed and never not be active, and that is love. So it's important that we study the word of God and understand the word of God and what's being taught. And you need to understand what these verses mean. Do your research, do your homework, study to show yourself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word. But in your study of that, don't miss the reason Paul includes these verses here. It's highlighting yet again what he's already talked about previously, that all of these prominent, desirable, boastful, potentially gifts will cease. They'll come to a point of end and they will not endure. But love, verse 8, never ends. Love never ends. It's enduring, always needed, and always to be active. And then number five, love is of the greatest value. Verse 13, now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul makes the point to say in this text, Faith, so important. And there's those that have the gift of faith. Hope, so important that's spoken about again and again and again in the word of God. And love. But he says love is the greatest of these. Do you realize that there's coming a day in time, according to the definition of faith, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, and the reference of hope in 11.1 1 of Hebrews, where both faith and hope, as we understand it from Hebrews 11.1, 1, will no longer be necessary. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There's coming a day when our faith will be made sight. When we no longer have to hope or have faith in what is not seen. Our faith will be made sight. Our hope will be made sight. Our hope will be our reality. The living hope that we have will be our reality. Our faith will be made sight in what we believe, the one we believe in, we will be able to see, even as Job said, with my own eyes, I will see him. But love will endure. Love will remain. That's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the very end of the chapter leading into chapter 13, let me show you a more excellent way. Because the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Let me just give us some questions to consider as we close this morning. As we go from here and process all that is taking place in chapter 13. And as we prepare to hear chapter 14 and the exercising of gifts and what it, the proper usage and exercising of gifts. Just three questions. Number one, is my life marked by love in all that I do? Is my life marked by love in all that I do? And in the exercising of gifts, in my participation in the body of Christ, in my service to the Lord, is my life marked by love in all that I do? Number two, how does love compel me to live differently? How should love compel you and I to live differently as we live in this world and as we serve in the church? And number three, what steps do I need to take to love more effectively? 
What steps do I need to take to love more effectively? And for every individual in this room, it might mean something entirely different on how you go about addressing these things because I don't know everybody's situation. But I know the more excellent way for everyone in this room is the way of love. And without it, we have nothing. With it, man, what God will do. And man, how God will be glorified. Father, thank you so much again for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have the assurance to know one day that hope and that faith will be made sight. That will be our reality. We will forever be with the Lord. Until he comes, though, help us to live and utilize the spiritual gifts that you've given to us in a more excellent way, in the way of love, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.